I'm not using it. I'm okay. just I used it for the name of this. Uh, okay, but you can you can do it. <laughs> well, I'm gonna use it. He's, got, he's got so many jokes he can just throw some away on titles of Zencaster pages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, just a sweet child with the power to control destiny with my mind. <laughs> oh, that's slightly unnerving. <laughs> gives me horror movie vibes. <laughs> Wherever you want to take it. Well, I'm co-host Jeremy Ruggles. The original reevaluator of new metal. <laughs> I am Peter Cook, and I'm just excited and shocked that we can feature a Jay Mascus album on the podcast. Peter, <laughs> it's it's J. Mathis. What? Like Johnny? Johnny? What do we got? Johnny Mathis album? Yeah. Oh, I've I have messed up. People will have to keep listening to find out if it's another April Fools episode in August or if we're actually talking about a Johnny Mathis record. <laughs> Interesting indeed. The intrigue is building. Well, hello gentlemen. I am guest co-host Mark Weathersby and chances are I'm an Olympic couch surfer for which I was awarded a bronze medal for that prestiged competitive category. Oh, wow. That's truly impressive. You picked, well, you went you. with the Olympics, unlike our featured artist. <laughs> yes, yes. Mr. Johnny Mathis. I'm coming home. <laughs> well, we're going to get right into that, but why don't you tell us just a little bit? Well, I think we know who you are, Mark. Uh, you're a big fan of the podcast. You're one of our most loyal supporters, but why don't you tell our listeners who you are? Thank you so much. I am a huge fan of I'd Buy That for a Dollar. I'm a DJ here in the wonderful city of Athens, Georgia. I'm a dog dad, cat dad, healthcare worker, owner of over 10,000 records. And I am just very honored to be here with you. Very nice gentlemen. So thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for everything you've done to help support the podcast. It's an honor, man. You're like the the number one shouter outer of the podcast, I'd say. I will continue to spread the word loud and far about this great podcast. It's <laughs> really, truly wonderful. It really is. Very inspirational educational and so much fun i love it right on well i'm very excited about your selection we had talked about a handful of different records that we could maybe talk about with you on and i wanted to go with your number one pick mostly because it was something that was completely off my radar and i'm assuming jeremy and peters as well so it's been a lot of fun to get into and research what's the first song we're going to hear off johnny mathis's i'm coming home well the first track we're going to get into 
is a track entitled Life is a Song Worth Singing. And this was one of the singles from Johnny Mathis's I'm Coming Home. Tom Bell described this song as Johnny Mathis entering the arena, ready to battle and to perform this great song. It's very epic. It's, it's wonderful. I dig it. Yeah, and we're going to cut out a little bit of the intro so we can actually get to the part where he sings because there's a pretty extensive uh, <laughs> instrumental intro to this song. Yeah, I think it's like three minutes. Yes, yes, very, very epic. Johnny Mathis? It sure is. Groovy, ain't it? Damn straight. That's not what I expected. I mean, okay, so admittedly, I, I did check this out before we <laughs> recorded, but I, I, my, my reenactment was accurate to how I, I felt when I first listened to it. Not what I ex was expecting. And I think that's what Johnny Mathis wanted. Basically... This album is a result of him trying to reach out to more of a youthful audience, more of an R&B audience. At that time, he was on Columbia Records, and he hadn't had a hit since 1969. This album was released in 1974. Okay. And so he wanted to basically stop doing album of contemporary covers, which is what he was doing at that time, and come out with an album of brand new material. At that same time, Tom Bell, the producer of this song and the guy who wrote this song with Linda Creed, wanted to work with Johnny Mathis. 
And so he reached out to the president of the record label and said he wanted to work with Johnny. Johnny agreed to work with Tom and they interviewed Johnny Mathis for a couple of days. He and his writing partner, Linda Cree did. They talked with him for a couple of hours and then came up with every single song pretty much on this album, with the exception of two. So it's pretty amazing. They spoke with him, came up with these songs, and this is one of the songs they came up with. Wow. So they were a, a pro team that he was working with. I know Tom Bell is a name that's behind a lot of well-known songs. I, I don't know if we have any <laughs> a list uh, handy. I, I just Oh, I got a name. short little list. <laughs> <laughs> do it sean do it do it legendary philly soul architect and producer tom bell is behind countless hits including the delphonics didn't i blow your mind this time mm. la la means i love you the oj's backstabbers new york city i'm doing fine now and many many more okay yeah that's where i know it from because didn't i blow your mind this time by the delphonics is like one of my favorite songs of all time. Yeah, the Delphonics was kind of like where he really made a name for himself. He was coming up as a studio musician and, you know, trying to get into the more of the production and arrangement. And he befriended the Delphonics early on in their career. And they kind of like blew up together in the Philadelphia scene and went from there. I'll give you one guess as to what movie I learned about the Delphonics from. That's Jackie Brown. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My favorite Tarantino film, actually, is Jackie it, Brown. Same. It's fantastic. Great film. Great, great film. I love that The Delphonics Did Not Blow Your Mind is one of the songs that defines the romance in that movie. It's so well done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so well done. Well, while we're on the subject of Tom and Linda, they also both closely worked with a group called The Stylistics uh, a little bit later on. And Linda was yes. primarily a lyricist and helped write the song stop look listen to your heart by the stylistics and she also co-wrote the song bet you by golly wow which was made famous by the stylistics initially and then if you guys remember that was one of the songs on the norman connors episode that we did with the vocals by phyllis hyman okay yeah was the stone in love with you is isn't that also the stylistics and that's on this album too that is correct johnny mathis at the label's insistence, wanted two familiar songs on the album. And I'm Stone in Love With You, which was made famous by the Stylistics, was one of the songs Johnny Mathis covered. And I love this arrangement and cover of the track. I mean, it's just got a nice groove to it. That blending of Mathis's vocals with that beautiful Philadelphia soul sound, the strings, the horns. I love the guitar at the very beginning. It's just such a groovy, upbeat tune that will bring the biggest smile to your face. It just <laughs> makes you feel so good. The thing I love about it, too, is it's got all those Philly soul elements, but it's, it's kind of a restrained, mellow version of it. Some of those Philly soul records from the time period are just like kind of grandiose in their arrangements, and this one just seems to be paired perfectly for Johnny's vocal style. You can tell that they were like really excited about doing this and like we're very intentional about making the album work for him and very familiar with who he was as an artist i wholeheartedly agree wholeheartedly agree the melding the marriage of these two beautiful institutions works so well together mm -hmm. it's just fantastic it's time for my weekly confessional boys time for me to hop in the 
booth or whatever those people do and they do that. <laughs> I don't <laughs> do it. Hop on in. Yeah, I bring just, it on. Yeah, I just hop in front of a microphone and tell everyone that listens to this. I never ever had listened to Johnny Mathis before a few days ago. He you see him constantly in the bins and in my brain he was like Eddie Arnold or Engelbert Humperdinck, like one of those names I see and I'm immediately like, oh, this is a grandma grandpa record bin. Well, like, I don't need to look at it. To be fair, Jeremy, I yes. think we've even referred to Johnny Mathis as kind of being that on the podcast before, like just generally. So I think we're all eating a little bit of humble pie here. True. I, like <laughs> I haven't, I haven't really dove into Mathis either, like for that reason. And, uh, I am shocked and removed and pleasantly surprised by this. He's kind of like the unofficial king of the dollar bins in a weird way. He and Herb Alpert duke it out for that title, I think. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> they duke it out, boy. I bothered listening to Herb Alpert, though, and I haven't ever given Johnny Mathis the time, and now I, I feel guilty. That's why I'm here in the confessional. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, he does have that kind of sort of perception of being that schmaltzy, easy listening artist. Even I have made that mistake in my younger days. And it wasn't until I read about this album in a Rhino catalog years ago. And then I found out that Tom Bell was behind it. I had no clue this album existed. And it was my father who was basically like, you need to find this album, listen to it, and if you dig it, you know, then you can add it to your CD collection. And we just so happened to be on our way to Memphis, Tennessee to do some deep digging, and I found it in a dollar bin in Memphis, Tennessee. It was meant to be, and that's how this record came into my life. Nice. Beautiful. Yeah, I mean, Jeremy, I'm I'm right there with you in the uh, the confessional on this one. I believe I was probably the one that made the disparaging comments about Johnny Mathis on previous episodes. You were, uh, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Peter. <laughs> For the record, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nothing but total honesty on this podcast. But yeah, I mean, that is like record collecting culture. Uh, in a lot of ways like when i started working at the record stores and stuff that was just a thing like oh it's just another box of johnny mathis records there's nothing good here but at the same time that's like was the roots of this show with peter and i digging through record stacks in the record store and be like okay well this is all the stuff that we are supposed to think is not good but what if we actually listen to it (laughs) and like what if these artists who like primarily have crappy records have like a couple really really good ones I remember one of the first artists we would like joke about is like, yeah, we got to find, uh, we got to find the good Jimmy Buffett record as if like there was no possible way that there is one. And then turns out Jimmy Buffett's first album from 1970 down to earth is a real banger. Rules. <laughs> right on. You gotta, I need to add that to my collection. I'm not familiar with this album. It's, it's kind of hard to find, but it's like a yeah, weird, that's... like hippie protest record. It's interesting. Really? Yeah. Not a dollar oh, bin record though. It's no. pretty rare. But I mean, it's oh, still Jimmy man. Buffett, so it might slide into a dollar bin accidentally if you keep looking. Yeah, there's definitely enough record store clerks that are going to totally disregard Jimmy Buffett the second they see his mm-hmm. name on a on a record. 
But so yeah, that being said, I've kind of like half wondered before, like I wonder if Johnny Mathis has some like sleeper records that are, are just totally off my radar, which is why I was excited when Mark, you were like, I want to do this one Johnny Mathis record. I love it so much. I was like, hell yeah. I want someone to educate me about like what the good Johnny Mathis records are. So here we are. Yeah. This is my favorite album of all time and it shocks people when i tell them this information uh, my top three are number three is marvin Gaye's here my dear number two is fleetwood max rumors and number one is johnny mathis's i'm coming home and i don't know what it is about this record that just moves me and connects with me but it really does connect with me in a very wonderful way it's it's been with me for a long time and i love it i i love that you have like the most unexpected number one pick and then a very conventional number two pick and then a very controversial Marvin Gaye pick for your third yeah. record. <laughs> I'm all over the place, all Love over it. the place. <laughs> yes, I, I, I listened to this album nonstop. One of my favorite uh, stories to tell was I used to listen to this record when I was studying. And uh, when I went to x-ray school and radiography school, I would listen to this album and it would get me through some of the hard days of being in school and working three jobs. And this album was definitely my comfort zone during that time. And I think that's why I've embraced it so much. It, it relaxed me. It comforted me. So That's great. Love a good uh, nostalgic association with music. It's perfect for that kind of thing. Yeah, it really is. I dig it. I really dig it. Cool. Well, uh, how about let's listen to another song. What's up next? Well, what we've got up next is a song that was eventually a single from the album. And like we talked about earlier, it is indeed a cover of a stylistics tune. And it's called I'm Stone in Love With You. Great song. Here we go. Stone in love with you. 
What a velvety, smooth voice. I should have known that was... I mean, I, I knew there must be a good voice there, but backed with these songs, it makes it all the nicer. Many people from the reading I've done have called Johnny Mathis the greatest singer of all time. And the more you listen to him, the harder it gets to disagree with that statement. I mean, he sells it. I, I'm convinced. I, you know, I don't even question the earnesty and honesty behind these songs when I hear them, when he's singing them. It's especially with some of these lyrics that are so, in some cases, uh, specific and unique. It, it it really helps. I, I'm I'm sold already. I'm not going to argue that he's a great vocalist. You want to know a very unexpected person who's also a big Johnny Mathis fan? A one John Waters. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. And he, his reasons for why he likes Johnny Mathis so much is kind of similar to what Peter was just saying about how he comes off as just like one of the most genuine, sincere musicians. Yeah. Wow. There's just like a complete lack of pretension with his delivery and artistry. That's beautiful. I had no clue. That's so awesome. <laughs> Huge John Waters fan. That that that, that makes my heart I, warm. It just ties it all it. together for you. I, I want <laughs> It does. Yeah, I want to hear his his whole spiel on on Johnny Mathis because I really love hearing him geek out on stuff. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. What's so fantastic about Johnny's voice is just. It really is a smooth, velvety, beautiful, ageless voice and when tom bell approached recording this album with johnny he had johnny sing in a lower register than what he was used to in fact when tom bell worked with a lot of his artists including elton john he had them sing in lower registers and and it really works for johnny mathis on this record and you can really hear him basically putting his feet in these warm velvety beautiful slippers that fit him perfectly and it's just it's fantastic <laughs> yeah tell me about johnny mathis basketball star and olympian <laughs> my he sure can dribble that ball down the court oh my you have me at a loss for words i was reading that in college or in college or high school i that part was unclear but he was playing with Bill Russell, who's an all-time NBA what? great. And they would have competitions of who could jump higher. And he could jump as high as Bill Russell most of the time. And was also a track and field athlete who was so good that he was offered uh, to try out for the Olympics. And Really? Yeah, his first recording session was also at the same time they wanted him to go do his Olympic tryouts. And he talked to his father about it, and his father was like, you should do the singing. So he went and recorded his first album instead of going to try out for the Olympics. <laughs> that is truly, truly a beautiful, remarkable thing. I had no clue about that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, he was a, he was a high jumper. I mean, he was apparently very good at multiple sports, but he particularly ex excelled at the high jump. And from what I had read, actually set a higher record than Bill Russell did at the high jump because they were both doing it at the time. And 
like he set like a statewide or citywide record for the high jump and like is still like one of the higher ranking records for that in California. <laughs> um, yeah, like complete star athlete before becoming a, one of the biggest singers in the world. Pop quiz. Who was the other artist we featured where we talked about them being a basketball star in their younger days? Uh, you got oh, me. Wow. Man, I should remember this. I remember that there was one, but I don't remember who. It was Tammy Wynette. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think in high school, she was like a star basketball player. Wild. Also went on to be one of the biggest singers of the 20th century. <laughs> <laughs> we just need three more wow. and we'll have a team. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> So as Jeremy mentioned, Johnny turned down the Olympic trials in 1956 to record his first album for Columbia Records. He is also the longest running artist on the Columbia roster. He's 85 now and still going strong. Wow. Damn. It's remarkable that he's been on Columbia Records for so long. He's just very loyal. I've read that he is a very loyal man, loyal to pretty much almost any and everybody he works with. He's, he's just a very loyal dude, you know, which is it's very awesome. I, I, I admire that very much. Yeah. And I'd also read that he, one of his big things is that if he's going to work with you, he has to like you as a person. And he was kind of unafraid to, you know, end professional associations with artists that he didn't consider to be nice people. One of those is Frank Sinatra did not want to work with that dude, but apparently was a big fan of his kids. Oh, that's wow. unsurprising. Frank yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's no secret that he was not an easy person to get along with. Oof. But yeah, there's a wonderful, genuine aura about Johnny Mathis. There's a, a very kind, genuine, authentic feeling you get from him. And it shines through his performances. It shines through when he sings. It shines through... With whatever music he's associated with. And I think that's why I really love this album. And, and I'm a fan of Johnny Mathis, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I consider myself a fan now. So thank you for bringing it to light here on this podcast. You are very, very welcome. Glad to help. Glad to help. <laughs> Gotta spread the good word out here. <laughs> Gotta get the good word out about Mr. Johnny Mathis. And, you know, he's also an artist that has been continually pushing in his career to either reinvent or stay current and while you know doing research for this episode i listened to one of his more recent records which came out in 2017 called johnny mathis sings the great new american songbook where it's all covers of some very modern songs and some songs from like the past decades but his voice sounds like just as good as it does in 1973 on this record it's astounding the level of talent and dedication that he still continues to put into his music, regardless of what the, the general popular opinion of him is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Whatever genre he dipped into, whether it was soul or even disco. And I love his duet work with Denise Williams, which I, I love seeing that Jeremy Ruggles is a big Denise Williams fan. It warms my heart so much. <laughs> and um, the duet work he does with her is just fantastic. It's truly fantastic. Their voices together are just, uh, just like sweet honey butter melting over a piece of lightly toasted toast. It's awesome. Or maybe a, a <laughs> waffle made by Jeremy's roommate. 
<laughs> which I was eating before we started recording. <laughs> <laughs> the butter's just oozing over those delicate little holes. Mm, I just love it. Oh gosh, that sounded so naughty. <laughs> well, we're going a different direction here now. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. <laughs> Perfectly fine. <laughs> we're all coming home. We're all coming home. Ooh, Peter. So, taking it back to Johnny, I had read that, you know, we talked about his almost Olympic career in the 50s, but he has maintained like a, a very big uh, focus on physical health throughout his whole career. There's like multiple interviews I'd read where they're talking about how he was like giving answers in between weightlifting and running on a treadmill and stuff. Like that's just, he gets up at 5.30 in the morning every day and exercises and has like very strict rules around keeping his voice fresh. Like before a concert, he will speak as little as possible for days leading up to it. And he's just seems to be, completely dedicated to his craft in every way and always has been discipline he, yes he should do a collaboration with king crimson discipline <laughs> <laughs> very very disciplined artist very loyal very disciplined very focused a very very focused man and like i said earlier traits that i wholeheartedly admire mm-hmm you know, and I was thinking about it. I feel like this dedication and discipline, I think, is part of the source of his uh, greatness and longevity, and also part of the source of some of the criticism that he's received over the the decades of his career, because he's very, very often for a long time kind of intentionally avoided really making very many statements or commenting on things or, you know, avoiding. Like issues of like politics and religion and for a long time sexuality as well mostly out of just like those were not things that he felt confident in being the spokesperson for like he was just completely dedicated to being the greatest singer in the world and has entirely been focused on that his entire life like he talks about how he enjoys it just as much as the first time he did it and can't imagine himself really doing anything else and is just going to keep doing it the best he can for the rest of his life he seems unreal to me. Like nobody is that pure in their focus. Is he like a secret serial killer? Or like, <laughs> he's like a, like a Mister Mister Brooks, that Kevin Costner. Yeah, like some yin to the yang there or something. I don't know. I mean, you know, it seems like there has to be some, like, struggle and darkness in there, but at the same time, he has very intentionally played his personal information close to the chest in interviews yeah. for a very long time. He's very good at deflecting and keeping things light and kind of protecting his legacy in some ways, but that has been something um, that has changed over the last few years. I don't know. Um, if you guys had read much about this, but he has like officially come out as gay within the last few years. There was a, a an interview in 82 where he had kind of announced it and then quickly had said that it was a, a off-the-record comment that was published without his permission, and he apparently got a lot of death threats after that point. And it's only been within recent years that he has like been coming out and saying, like, no, this is who I am. I didn't want to talk about this and that was kind of a mistake, but it's also a generational thing. But 
this is a part of who I am and it always has been. And we talked about his parents being accepting of it at a very young age and growing up in the California scene, he was talking about how when he was younger, being gay was not really much of a thing and not something you really had to think about. But, you know, as his star rose, it was something that he felt could not be part of his public persona for a long time. Yeah. In that era, I can't even imagine that. Uh, yeah. That would be, a, I don't want to misspeak and say a, a, a heavy thing to carry um, as a gay man. I, I, I know, but it's, it's, just the magnitude of his success. And he was one of the um, African-American artists who appealed to a pop audience. There were not many African-Americans at the time who definitely appealed to a, a pop audience like he did at that time. And he kind of sort of crossed the pop line and attracted more of a white audience. Um, and in a way, didn't attract much of a black audience. And so he was kind of one of those weird artists who struggled with that. And so I can see how he wanted to keep that information to himself and just tread the middle of the road and just try to be nice to everybody, which is something I, I respect. I respect that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I had read him talking about early on is uh, in regards to his race is that, you know, he's a, a light skinned black man. He has uh, native American ancestry and he's pretty sure he has some European ancestry as well. But he was saying growing up, he didn't feel like he identified strongly with one of his racial backgrounds and instead decided that he just wanted to identify with everything. And from like his earliest days of becoming a musician, he said they intentionally wanted to learn pop songs and classical and R&B songs and just everything. He, if it was something that made him happy, then that's what he identified with. That's so awesome. That's so, so awesome. There's a great clip, by the way, of Johnny Mathis on Soul Train, where he performs four songs in one episode, which at that time was kind of unheard of for Soul Train. But um, he takes some questions from the Soul Train gang, the Soul Train dancers. And that interview is so charming and it's so sweet. And it's so interesting to see this age divide. He's 38, he says in the interview, and all those kids in the audience are probably like 18 or 19. And just hearing him talk about the different things that were popular at the time when he was when he was younger and then what they were into at there, it's just a very, very interesting interview. I, I dig it. Yeah. And it's such a cool, positive attitude from him in regards to that. Like I, I was reading people saying that a lot of older artists tend to take this stance that they're like at odds with the current music industry. Whereas Johnny throughout his entire career has just kind of taken it in stride and appreciates the new styles of music as they're coming through and mm -hmm. doesn't mind, you know, playing older songs, newer songs, whatever audience is, you know, buying his records or, or his primary fan base. But yeah, like he, he's just down to like exist and do his music as the best way he can and see who appreciates it. Right on, right on. I appreciate that very much from Johnny. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, well, let's get to another song. What's the third track we're featuring? The next track that we're featuring is a track called Foolish. Foolish is one of the few songs on the album that Tom Bell and Linda Creed co-wrote with other writers. And apparently after Tom and Linda interviewed Johnny Mathis, this is one of the songs she came up with. It was actually the sixth song she was writing, I think the fifth or sixth song she was writing for that album, and she hit a block. 
and she hit a point where she just couldn't write anymore. And so a couple of gentlemen stepped up and helped her to finish the song. And what I love about this song is Johnny's vocals are so strong and clear at the beginning. It's like the focus is on his vocal and then Tom's Philly sound comes in and just basically floats him along. It's, it's, it's beautiful. This is probably my favorite track on the album. Yeah, this one jumped out. And lyrically is great. Yeah, it's great. standout track on the record right there uh, like you said it's just those like pillowy soft arrangements and vocals complementing each other so perfectly just doesn't get any smoother than that so so smooth so so smooth and that band that was backing him is phenomenal you had vince montana who was the godfather of disco basically he later went on to found the salsor orchestra which was on salsor records which he co-founded a couple of members of the Tramps were on that record. Ronnie Baker and Earl Young. Um, Norman Harris, who went on to work with artists like Eddie Kendricks. Bobby Eli, he was one of the founding members of MFSB, which was the backing band for Philadelphia International Records. I mean, the band on this is all A players. Just great, great stuff. Mm. Yeah, and it shows. Yeah, yeah, it sure does. It's uh, just beautiful. Yeah, no mistakes on this record. This is <laughs> this is high level pro stuff. But you know, like we said, Tom was 
I, I've read in interviews him saying that he felt like he was trying to build his career up to be able to like hit a point where he could work with Johnny Mathis. So for him, this was a, a milestone in his career, and he was not slouching on this record at all. He had he was out to prove that he could make a Johnny Mathis level record, and he really did. He went the distance. They loved this collaboration so much, they collaborated on another album a couple of years after this, and it's also equally fantastic. What's that album? It's simply entitled Mathis Is, <laughs> and it is it is just, oh my God, it's stunning. Oh, I, equally stunning. I thought it was Math Isis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> my mistake. Yeah, common mistake. <laughs> he got a lot of crap in 1977. <laughs> right. Well, oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> well, Sean, how do you you know take this artist that you've just uh, until recently you thought was just uh, dollar bin fodder, and now you realize it's dollar bin gold? What did you do do for a Spotify playlist? Well, I took this playlist and I filled it full of a whole bunch of other dollar bin gold, but I also I feel like most people. If they hear that a Johnny Mathis playlist has been made, they're going to assume that there's probably a lot of white crooners on there with him because that was the scene that he lived in and made all of his money in for a long time. But I decided to take more of the soul angle that this record and this time period in his career was all about. So there's a lot of Philly soul, there's some disco stuff, there's some other R&B crooner types, and... A lot of good music. Some of the artists are the Spinners that we talked about. Well, yeah. Eddie Kendricks is on there. Chic. Right on. Uh, Kashif with uh, you know, Say Something Love, one of the ballads off the album that we covered, self-titled. I saw that uh, Johnny Mathis did an album with Chic later in his career, too. Yes. And it was shelved for a very long time, and then that was actually finally re-released in, I think, 2017 for a record store day. Or 2018, yes. maybe. Yes, it's a great album. Yeah, I was listening to a little bit of that today, and it is really, really good. I mean, you yeah. can, any, anything Sheik was touching during that time period was just amazing. No doubt. There's a Carpenters track on the playlist. So, there's a whole bunch of Denise Williams on the playlist, both with and without Johnny Mathis. MFSB is on there. We mentioned the Delphonics. Jerry Butler, who I think is another good kind of R&B crooner type with some comparisons to Johnny. Uh, there's an Isaac Hayes track on there because I feel like some of the stuff that like slow disco that Isaac Hayes was doing at that time period definitely has some similarities to this Johnny record. Peggy Lee and Dinah Washington are on there who are both uh, contemporaries of Johnny Mathis that he really, really admired. Dusty Springfield, who was another singer that Johnny Mathis admired. Gladys Knight and the Pips because Johnny has stated that Gladys Knight is his favorite singer of all time. Right on. Teddy Pendergrass, The Temptations, Natalie Cole, Harry Belafonte, Dionne Warwick, Lou Rawls, maybe my favorite, like, crooner-type singer of all time, personally. And there's a little uh, Roberta Flack section on there. The, the Lou Rawls track is covering the song Feel Like Making Love, and then I put Mr. Magic from the Roberta album Feel Like Making Love that we covered. And then also there's Johnny Mathis doing a cover of Killing Me Softly with her song from the album of the same name that came out, I believe, right before this record. Such a great cover. Good, good cover that he did. I haven't heard that. I'll have to check that out. 
Oh, it's it's really fantastic. It's really fantastic. Yep. So you can find all those songs. This is an extra long playlist, 43 tracks. You can find that on Spotify. Just search I'd Buy That Podcast, all one word, and dig into some excellent dollar bin disco and soul. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for that beautiful playlist. Mm-hmm. And thank you for your suggestions. Mark actually contributed a good number of tracks to this playlist. So you're getting the combined efforts this week. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Fantastic. And instead of pimping out our Patreon over and over, just do what Mark does. Just uh, shout us out, maybe. Tell a friend, <laughs> you know, in honor of Mark. Do it Mark style. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Is there anything uh, that you'd like to shout out while you're on our podcast, Mark, while you're here? Um, I encourage everybody to follow me on Instagram, DJ Mahogany. I've got something in the works that is coming up very soon. I'll be making an announcement about that very soon on my Instagram. I encourage any type of messages or talks about music trashy movies or any fun things um so please don't hesitate to reach out and i want to tell all three of you thank you all three of you you don't know how much your words have touched me but they have touched me and so many others you guys have inspired me in so many ways during the pandemic it was your voices that really got me through a lot of difficult things that I saw during the pandemic working in healthcare. It was listening to your podcast that brought the biggest smile to my face and learning about bands like the Crusaders or Quicksilver Messenger Service or Kenny Rankin, um, the Carpenters, Buzzy Linhart. I mean, environments, Martin Denny, or listening to all the awesome things you talk about on your Patreon, the Lost Generation 45, the Madonna 45, Eddie Kendricks, the Shylights. You guys... I have always brought the biggest smile to my face. And I am so indebted to you for that. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything you guys have done and for letting me be a part of this. So thank you. That, that means a lot, Mark. Thank you. You're welcome. It really does, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, in, in return, the, you uh, during the time, the pandemic, getting really enthusiastic feedback directly from you was was a great thing there were some really dark days i was having in the winter and you know we'd receive a message from you about how much you enjoyed like the temptations episode or you know any number of them and uh, that really meant a lot you know knowing that there was someone out there on the other end of things that was connecting with what we're doing here it's a beautiful thing it's beautiful it was rough when we had to switch from the three of us all hanging out in a room together, like doing this to doing it all remote. So it's, uh, I think it was very helpful to get feedback and, you know, know that people are out there listening and it's doing something. There are people who are listening. There are other fans out there besides me. And, uh, you know, you each have something awesome to contribute and Sean and Peter have the most awesome laughs. Every time you guys laugh, it makes me laugh. And every time Jeremy says true, it melts me in the best way. So <laughs> you guys are all just have 
you know, attributes that just make this so much fun. And and the co-hosts you have, Leora Haas, I mean, um, oh, Jake there, and Wes Weed, and Greg Kaz, and Taylor Rowley. I mean, these people you have come on your podcast are just so wonderful to just hear what they have to say and share. It's, it's great. It's just great. <laughs> Holy love fast. Well, it's a, it's a testament to uh, how you are truly our number one fan that when we hand, <laughs> hand the microphone over to let you plug your own stuff, you spend most of the time talking up the podcast. So <laughs> we appreciate you to no end and we hope to have you back for another record. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on future albums that might be worth revisiting. I um, have so many things I could talk about, but I'm always open to learning. And I would love to talk about something Jeremy or, or Peter or you, Sean, have to offer. And it will encourage me to listen. I'm always coming at, to, at music with an open mind. And I love listening to it and absorbing it and nerding out about it and researching it and learning it. And I can talk about any and everything. It, it, that, it just makes me happy just to have a wonderful conversation about music. It truly is a gift that binds so many people together. Absolutely. Well, what a wonderful, positive note to go out on. Um, unless anybody has any final thoughts, I think we can introduce this last track. Yeah, I'm just going to muck it up if I try to say anything more at this point. <laughs> yeah, that felt, <laughs> that felt uh, appropriately in the Johnny Mathis hyper-earnest good guy vibe ending there thank you thank you uh this last track is my favorite track on the album i think it's i'd rather be here with you and it's such a beautiful love song and uh, the first time i listened to this in headphones i'd listened to it on vinyl but the first time i listened to it via headphones it actually brought tears to my eyes because it's just so gorgeous and i've Felt like this would be a beautiful song to go out on. Yeah, perfect. All right, this is side one, track two. And signing off, I'm Sean Hartman. Thanks for listening. I'm Peter Cook. We'll see you later. I'm Jeremy Ruggles. And I'm Mark Weathersby. Thank you guys for everything. True. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, oh my God. It's all, oh my God. It's all for you. Oh my god.
Everybody seems to like my style 